continuing in, in Ephesians chapter 4. And they are verses 17 through 32 of Ephesians chapter 4. So turn to it right now, please. And here as I read. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard Him, and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. Let not bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray. O Lord, again, enlighten our understanding. Soften our hearts and set our wills free to do your will and not our will. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The new life. We've started this last time. In the scriptures, the Apostle Paul declares, There is therefore, sorry, begin again, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How do I know that this has happened to be. How do I know that this has happened in my life? Is it enough that you tell me this and that I believe this? I believe that it is true. Is change necessary? The answer, absolutely. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question 86, it asks, can they then not be saved? who do not turn to God 
from their unthankful and penitent life? The answer, the short answer, is by no means. And the scripture that supports it is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. It is actually part of the answer to this question. And I will read it. Know ye not that the unrighteous, that is, those who live unrighteous lives, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. The Lord Jesus put it this way, when he said twice over, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. This is what the Lord Jesus is teaching in our passage called the put off, put on principle, found in the verses that we read already, 22 through 24. Now let us proceed to give examples of this put off, put on principle. For example, in verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He is actually quoting from a scripture in the Old Testament from Zechariah 8.16, which we will not turn to, because essentially it is all in this verse, verse 25. Lying is a sin against the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. If you lie, what does that make you? A liar. In the book of Revelation it says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and adulterers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Lying is against the very word of God. Our Lord Jesus prayed, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Lying is against the spirit of truth, as he is called by our Lord Jesus. So, beloved in Christ, put off lying. Instead, put on truth. A second example of the put-off, put-on principle is found in verse 26 of our passage. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Anger is a sin against the sixth commandment, believe it or not. But if you turn to Matthew 5, 21 and 22, you will see why I say that it is a sin against the sixth commandment, which is, Thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not murder. So in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, we read, You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, but whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. That's the sixth commandment. But I say unto you 
that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, the very same judgment of hell. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell of fire. Without getting into this in depth, we understand this as being hidden murder or murder in the heart. Our Lord says that by your words you will be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. So watch what you say. Now, no one can be angry. Now, one can be angry, and yet not sin, according to our passage in Ephesians chapter 4, right? One can be angry with his brother with a cause, meaning a righteous cause. When such anger is unselfish, when such anger is based upon love for God and love for others. For example, Christ Himself in Mark 3, verse 5. Mark 3, verse 5. When, uh, and when he had looked round about on them with anger, this is our Lord, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And so, one can be angry for a good reason, for a good cause, for a righteous reason, for a righteous cause. And glorify God. But even righteous anger can turn into bitterness when it is not set aside at the end of the day. Back in our passage in Ephesians chapter 5, sorry, 4, verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, before the end of the day, make sure that you become reconciled with that party and that you don't go to bed angry. And especially if your husband and wife and your backs turned away from one another. He has this couple here that uh, enjoy this sunset together after having one of those tit for tats. Take care of the matter before the sun sets. That's a good rule of thumb. And that way you can start fresh when the sun rises the next day. So, beloved in Christ, always put off sinful anger. And if necessary, put on righteous anger within time limits. Put off hidden murder that is from your heart, and put on open love instead. Now, a third example is found in Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Stealing is a sin against the Eighth Commandment. 
thou shalt not steal. It should not be in the Christian life. It doesn't matter how small the amount is or how great. The alternative to stealing is working. Did you know that God instituted work back in the Garden of Eden? Notice in Genesis 2.15, the first thing God did with Adam after he made him was to put him to work. Genesis 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. There you are. He put him to work. Even before he, had, he, he gave him the institution of marriage, he gave him the institution of work. Part of the problem with our nation is the welfare system that is out of control. Free money. Entitlement. But the truth is, it's not free. Someone had to pay for it. And that's the taxpayers with their hard-earned money. To work is also a commandment. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 and 11. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. For even when you, we were with you, this we commanded you. See, it is a commandment. That if you any would not work, neither should he eat. Notice, we don't work, we don't eat. That's how it works. That's what God commands. When you don't work, also you have a lot of time in your hands, and you know what can happen, right? Verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. That's what happens when you have a lot of time on your hands. You know that saying, idleness is the devil's playground? It is true. Here's another area where you, give, you allow the devil to take place. Why do you think we have so many homeless people? By choice. There are some legitimate homeless people, mind you. Don't get me wrong. But there are many who have made it their lifestyle. You want to see real homeless people, just go south of the border. Or, like myself, every time I go home to the Philippines and I see children begging for food at the local McDonald's or Jollibee, my heart is broken. At uh, the Heidelberg West Youth Camp, I, we were talking about living a healthy Christian life and part of that is glorifying God imitating Christ and doing good to others, sharing with others. And I taught them, the campers, that you can give a gift card from the Jack in the Box or McDonald's to a purpose if you want to help them. Not cash. <laughs> Unless you go shopping with them. And you know what? Right now, you can learn from one of God's creatures. The ants are out in mass right now. They're all over my house. I don't know about yours. Look at Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. We can learn from even the smallest of God's creation. 
Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. It's addressed to a certain group. She calls sluggards. In the side of my Bible it says, work hater. <laughs> work hater. Wonder where they learned this. I wonder where they learned this. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long will you sleep? How long will thou sleep, O sluggard? When will thou rise out of thy sleep? Get a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and they want as an armed man. I hope you hear that loud and clear, especially if you are in this category. If you are a professing Christian and you are this way, all the more shame on you. It says in 1 Timothy 5.8, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, in other words, you're not working, maybe your, your spouse is the one who's, who's working, slaving away, doing the work that you should be doing, and doing the work of the home in the case of the wife. He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You are worse than an unbeliever. There are unbelievers who are diligent about the care of their households. And you are not. I've seen some men who are this way, who had gifts, who had abilities to, to teach the Word of God, who were striving to enter into the ministry, but whose lives were in shambles at home. They had big libraries, but as far as their families were concerned, they were not to be seen, because Dad was not there for them. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. There's one more thing with regard to this matter of putting off and putting on. In this case, putting off stealing, putting on working. And that is, as a believer, your working is not just to help yourself and your family, it is to help others who are in need. According to verse 28 of Ephesians 4, 4.28, at the end, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Notice that. That he may have to give to him that needeth. In other words, to those that are in need out there. As much as we may despise the lifestyle of some who have chosen to live in the streets, in other words, it was their choice to give up their job, to give up their responsibilities, perhaps to give up their family, in order to have this life of freedom, life of Riley on the street. Nevertheless, we are to be merciful, and especially to those who are repentant, and to those who are seeking to make amends for their derelict life. And then especially for those who are deserving, of our help. Look at Luke 14, 13 and 14. Luke 14, 13 and 14. 
But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the mean, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Be like the Good Samaritan. Even though that man half dead may have nothing to offer you, you have everything to offer him. You have the grace of God. And so, beloved in Christ, put off stealing and put on an honest day's work so that you may give to one and to all. The poor we will have with us always. It is a ministry. It is an opportunity. It is a door by which they may see the kingdom of God through you and through your testimony. And fourth and lastly, back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The word corrupt means foul or rotten language or language that tears down. Negative, negativity. That's one thing that we need to avoid. That's something that we all have to work at. In James 3, 6-8, it speaks about a negative tongue. It speaks about a foul and rotten tongue. James 3, 6-8. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and set on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed over by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And isn't that so? Isn't it so easy, just with our tongue alone, to harm and to hurt and to maim and to destroy? It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. And we know the power that we will with our tongue or with our lips. The psalmist says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. He was so overwhelmed by the immensity and the uh, power and propensity of his tongue to destruction. Believers have been saved by grace and kept by grace. They should live by grace and speak with grace. In Colossians 4, 6, it says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Not just the ones you want to answer in a right way or in a righteous way, but every man. Your speech should be instructive, uplifting, even when it has to be corrected with others, and I think that's where the salt comes in, because salt is a preservative, and suited for every occasion, for every situation. Like the Bible says in Proverbs, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Or, in another proverb, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and a picture of silver. And so it should be timely and fitly. 
for the occasion. So finally, brethren, beloved in the Lord, put off foul negativity that tears down in your speech. Instead, put on edifying, gracious words that encourages and lifts up and blesses others. And when you do this, according to our passage in Ephesians 4 again, verse 30, when you do this, you grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. In other words, God is grieved when people don't change their old life of sin into a new life of righteousness. Whereas when they do, God is joyful. He is rejoicing over thee with thanksgiving, as the scriptures say. Remember that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our eternal inheritance because heaven has already begun in our soul by His indwelling presence as He lives in us. And it is said that He seals us to the day of redemption. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, let all wrath, all bitterness and all wrath, and all anger and clamor and evil speaking with all malice be put away from you and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you and me. That is the goal, or at least should be the goal. In other words, cover hurts, cover offenses, cover negativity with love. As Proverbs 17, 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. You're after that. That's what you're after when you are about that. That is covering the sins of others and not wanting to expose them. Like it goes on to say in that verse in Proverbs 17, 9, may as well turn to it. Because it's a really good verse to, to look at and even to commit to memory. So Proverbs 17, 9. <clears throat> he that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. When you are repeating something that someone did, especially when it has been forgiven by you and covered by the blood of Christ in prayer, and you bring it up again because you're upset at that person, because you are dredging up everything from the ocean of, of God's forgetfulness, you want it back out on the shore so you can put it on display so that you can make your point that you're right and you're wrong. Oh, boy, oh boy. You want to separate not just very friends, but very family. That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. And we all do it. And don't deny it. <clears throat> Cover them. Cover them with your love. And if you don't have enough of that, cover them with Jesus' love. Ask the Lord Jesus to give you love in your heart to be able to do that. Just like God did us. As it says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He put away our transgressions from us. And might I add, from Him 
And if you are truly with this desire to cover a multitude of sins with your love from others. So let's try to be the way that God wants us to be to each other and to others, shall we? In conclusion, repentance and faith, which is really what we've been talking about all along, put off, let's repent, put on, that's faith, are an attitude of the heart. Are an attitude of the heart. Back at Ephesians 4, verse 20 and 21, it is the attitude of Jesus' heart, our Lord Jesus' heart. <clears throat> 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if so be that we have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. He is saying this to the Ephesian Christians. He is saying that Jesus Himself has taught you this. Wait a minute. This was many, many years removed from the uh, resurrection and ascension of our Lord has returned to glory. What do you mean, Pastor, by that? What do you mean, Apostle Paul, by that? What I believe he means, maybe twofold. One, that as they learned at the feet of the Apostle, they were learning from the Lord. But I also believe this, that it could be also that the day you came to Jesus was the day that he began teach your heart. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. This is the most important passage, what I call Jesus' own personal autobiography. And I don't think he was saying it to build his image up because he doesn't need any building up. <laughs> and especially, he's not the one to build himself up. But I believe for a purpose, and that is for our example. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He tells us to come to him if we are uh, laboring and heavy laden, and he will give us rest. And then he says something very unusual, almost contradictory to that, when he says, take my yoke upon you, whoa. You know, a yoke, a physical yoke, that's, that's, that could be very heavy. I've never put one on me, but looking at the way two oxen or caravan in the Philippines carry the yoke, it's like a burden. Of course, these are beasts of burden. Can you imagine a yoke on, 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 on the back of your neck and carrying it? Well, that's what the Lord says to do. But keep in mind, who is the other yoke fellow to you? And that is Jesus Christ. And do you think that He can help you to carry that? Do you think that even sometimes He might be the one who is carrying it for you, as well as carrying you? Of course, of course. So that should be, let me start over, that is the attitude of our Lord's heart that He is beginning to impart to our heart. But also consider the attitude of your own heart. And I refer again to the Heidelberg Catechism, this time question 88 through 90. And let me give them first and then make my point. 
the attitude of our heart. And how many things does true repentance or conversion consist? In two things, the dying of the old man and the making alive of the new. That's our study, right? Putting off the old man, putting on the new. Next question, what is the dying of the old man? Answer, heartfelt sorrow for sin, causing me to hate it more and more and to turn from it always more and more. What is the making alive of the new? Heartfelt joy in God through Christ, causing us to take delight in living according to the will of God in all good works. Do you see, just in the wordage alone, how the attitude of the heart is everything, that repentance and faith are an attitude of the heart more than anything else, more than what we actually do or don't do in the Christian life. Is your heart synced to that of Christ's? That is the question. I hope you reach the point where your prayer becomes more and more like the a prayer of the Apostle Paul, or what I consider the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1.15. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. And that is this. I'm putting it in my own words. May it please God who called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me. That's the prayer. May it please God who has called me by His grace to reveal His Son, Jesus, in me. There's a song that uh, I learned very early on in my Christian life, and I'll, I will read it. I won't say it. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all His wonderful passion and purity. O Thou Spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, how grateful we are for your work of grace in our lives. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts and the actions and testimony and witness of our lives be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name.